The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is presented by mybookie.ag and that if you use the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, that you will get a 50% deposit bonus on your first deposit. And given that you are a listener to this podcast, I would assume you're relatively knowledgeable about sports and I would trust you to try your edge on the online sports book. You can lay down some money and get in on the action at one of the safest online sports books in the world. It's the only one that I am currently using. You can wager on all sorts of different outcomes on mybookie.ag, soccer, football, any major league, esports. You can even create your own player props, which is useful for me because if you know anything about me, I do enjoy uh, a good player prop. So if you deposit using the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, you get a you get a 50% de- bonus when you deposit and i will add this for listeners of the takecast if you deposit using the promo code matic and you send proof of it to me on twitter i will follow you on twitter and you can have access to me via dms whenever you want that's the that's the takecast bonus that i'm adding in association with the mybookie.ag deposit bonus now let's get back to the show Hello, everyone, and welcome to the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at Davis Maddock. This episode is done with my friend Joe Holka, formerly of Fantasy Labs and the Action Network, which is something that we talk about in this podcast. Joe is a friend of mine. You guys probably know him in the DFS space. We actually did something pretty fun with this podcast. We recorded it live on stream on Joe's Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Joe Holka if you guys want to uh, watch his streams or subscribe, which of course would be helpful. Uh, We talked a lot about a lot of different things in this episode. We talked about Joe's career as a minor league hockey player, his career in DFS, both as a player and as a writer and content contributor. We talked about crypto. We talked about all the all the good stuff. This is a, a pretty long podcast. I do think that you guys will enjoy it. As always, if you want to support the show, you can leave a like or review on iTunes, a little five-star review, never uh, never hurt anyone. And if you really like the show, you can, of course, support it on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash TakeCast. Uh, that, uh, you know, super helpful, allows me to continue doing the show in addition to, you know, my, uh, my real job. So would really appreciate you guys subscribing to that for bonus episodes, showdown breakdowns for all the slates on DraftKings and more. Thinking about launching a Discord, which is something that we talked about on this episode as well, and we will get into the show after a quick ad. Daily Roto is a mostly proud sponsor of the Tatecast, a mostly sports podcast. 
TakeCast listeners can save 10% at Daily Roto with the promo code Janus, J-A-N-I-S. If you are playing on DraftKings or FanDuel, Daily Roto will help you improve your daily fantasy results this fall and save time in the process with lineup optimizers, ownership projections, fantasy projections, premium content, and much more. They have all the good stuff that you want to help you make money at sports betting and daily fantasy. Their new lineup optimizer will let you build optimal GPP teams with stacks based on their projections faster than I can punt money off betting on Peter Uline. Sure, you can play the guys that I recommend each week, but shouldn't you also get advice from a proven daily fantasy winner like Drew Dinkmeyer? Yes, I do have better hair than Drew, but I also have his cell phone number, and that makes me a winner almost as much as it makes him a winner of the DraftKings Millionaire Maker. And it's not just fantasy. They have tools to bet on player props, golf matchups, and a customizable NFL game simulator for this fall. Save 10% with promo code Janice today. Now, hello everyone and welcome to the TakeCast. I am Davis Maddock, of course, and I am joined by my buddy, Joe Holka. Uh, Joe, why don't you introduce the people to yourself and uh, tell them what we're doing right now? Yeah, big fan of the TakeCast, man. I've listened to probably about every episode. Uh, we are actually doing this uh, live on my Twitch stream. So this is the first time I believe that you've done something like this. I uh, thought it'd be a really cool thing to do uh, since I've heard you guys talk a lot about YouTube and Twitch. Uh, I would assume that this is something you're probably going to be considering doing yourself at some point. So it'd be fun to kind of go through uh, your normal routine, but uh, do it on stream. Definitely, definitely uh, like a, a pretty interesting idea because it is something that I've toyed with. And like uh, when I had Kevin Sports Geek on the podcast, he mentioned just, you know, how valuable YouTube and like video content is for monetization. So definitely something that I'm looking at. So that'll, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, how people react to it. But of course, every time that I have people on the show, you know, really the first half of the show was just about who they are as a, you know, just as a, as a professional, how they got into the space. But what I'm most interested about uh, with you, Joe, is I want to talk about playing minor league hockey. I want to, I want to know how you got into playing hockey, you know, growing up in Arizona and what it was like to play juniors and how that experience, you know, influences your decision-making in DFS now. Yeah, man, it's uh it was a long, long journey. Um, so starting in Arizona, definitely kind of a non-typical hockey market. Um, grew up in a family where my mom's from Michigan. So hockey was definitely a thing in our family growing up. Uh, so gave it a try. Pretty much played every sport until I was about uh, 16 or so. And then uh, really tried to kind of go all in on the hockey thing. Thought it'd be one of my best paths to getting all my school paid for it. So Ended up uh, moving to Canada, actually, uh, for three years uh, directly after high school. So the way hockey works is a little different than like something like college football. So a lot of people go and play junior hockey first um, for a couple of years um, and then try and secure like a scholarship from there. So um, I chose to go to Canada, which is a little bit different route than a lot of my friends. Um, there's a, another junior league in the States that's really good called the USHL. Um, but I decided to go to Canada just because I lived in Arizona my whole life. I wanted to go somewhere where hockey was really important to people. Um, so it was a lot of fun. My first year uh, was kind of a reality check, actually. I um, basically didn't have a whole lot of adversity as a hockey side of things. Uh, as a kid in Arizona, we had like one main team um, that was pretty solid. Um, but outside of that, just a lot of traveling to play teams from 
around the country. Um, but not a lot of adversity in my age group. Um, so got to Canada, had a really rough, uh, first year of juniors actually, like was in and out of the lineup a little bit. Um, we had a really good team, a couple guys, even on that first junior team, uh, still playing in the NHL to this day. Um, so, uh, actually played on a what, line. What position did you play? I was a forward. Um, but the funny story that I like to tell people about that first year is I played on a line for a good majority with uh, Ryan Johansson. I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to this might not know who that is, but uh, first line center for the Nashville Predators. He was a fourth or third or fourth overall pick. Uh, and I, for some reason, made him look bad enough to where he was in and out of the lineup as a 16-year-old. Uh, had like 10 points in our league as a 16-year-old. So maybe I was literally that bad that I made a third overall pick uh, underperform, I guess. But uh, yeah, that first that first year was definitely a reality check for sure. That's, I mean, that's a, that's like a very good story. People hold on to their encounters with pro athletes for like their entire lives. Like my cousins, uh, like my, my dad's side of the family's from Oklahoma and they played like junior high, like AAU basketball against Blake Griffin. And it's a story that's like, it's a, it's a story that's still being told to this day. Like people, people never, uh, never let go of that. But, uh, so you played in the frozen four, what college did you play at? Yeah, so after that first year, uh, finally kind of figured it out a little bit. I uh, was in Canada for two more years. I uh, got a scholarship to uh, St. Cloud State in Minnesota. Uh, my final three teams uh, were St. Cloud in Minnesota, and then I was, I was kind of dead set on going to Denver at one point just because I was one of the closest teams to Arizona growing up, um, but they weren't uh, willing to offer me a full ride. So I decided to go to uh, to Minnesota, uh, for kind of a smaller school, um, but still in like the number one conference. So the WCHA and college hockey at the time, um, basically like the SEC of college hockey. So, um, yeah, I was fortunate enough to make the frozen four the first time ever, um, that our program had made it that far. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was my sophomore year. Um, but yeah, uh, so St. Cloud state is kind of where I ended up. Um, yeah, it was, it was good to kind of make that frozen four. It was a crazy, crazy experience. Um, and by the way, I definitely don't want to be that guy that sits there and tells the stories about all these guys that he played with growing up. No, people, he- people love this. This is, this is good content, Joe. Yeah. I just like, there, there's a reason they're there and I'm not, I guess is my point. Um, but yeah, I, I got to play with a lot of guys in college that are still playing now too. Um, it's, uh, it's nice to kind of watch those guys, especially the guys that really ever earned it. Right. So I think there's in a lot of sports too, like there's still times where the first round picks, the second round picks, they, they get to the NFL or they get to whatever league they're in. And, and the undrafted guys, the guys that are drafted late, like those are the guys that really have to prove it. But um, so I always have a lot of respect for, for guys that maybe we weren't top picks that still ended up uh, kind of finding their way uh, to the NHL. What were you, what were you not good enough at the reason that you never made it even to, uh, in our little outline here, you have it noted that, you know, you didn't even make it to the AHL. You were kind of two steps down. So what were you not good enough at? Were you just not, were you not fast enough? Were you not strong enough? Not good enough yeah. reactions? Yeah. So I was definitely big enough, uh, six two, like when I was playing probably like 200 pounds or so, um, actually skated really well for a big guy, relatively decent skill. Um, so the, the problem is, um, I think with myself is there's a difference between being a smart guy, being hockey smart, but actually like, um, having hockey sense, they call it basically. So like the way your mind works through plays quickly, 
um, is like probably the biggest thing in like any sport. So in hockey, there's, there's probably a level. So I'm pretty comfortable that, that my ceiling was, was probably the AHL decided not to fully grind it out in the minors and see if I would have realized that. Um, but I don't think my brain ever worked uh, fast enough from a hockey sense perspective to make it all the way to the NHL. Cause that, that's really the biggest difference between some of the minor league players, some of the division one college hockey players that really make it. It's the guys that think the game fast enough because that's really the game that the direction is going. Like obviously football has changed a lot over the past couple of years. Hockey's the same way. Uh, it's just so fast now, even if you're a fast skater, you're, your mind and you have to be able to make plays at an insanely high pace. And I think that that's probably the thing that held me back the most. Um, and that's not really something that you can really improve. It's not like you can get the gym in the gym a little bit more and improve your hockey sense. You know what I mean? So no, you, you either, you either have it or you don't. That's why like, and this is something you see a lot in soccer, like big professional soccer. Like there are guys who don't run fast. They don't have, they're not incredibly powerful. They're not incredibly strong, but their brain just works at such a level that it's just like, you know, they, they see a pass or they see the other player's reaction before the other player even knows that they're going to make it. And I actually, we don't really talk about that stuff with football very much, but my assumption would be that that is a thing. Like really probably at every level of like professional sports, there are just guys who have such a mental acuity that it doesn't matter how physically strong or fast or whatever they are, they're just going to be good at whatever. Oh yeah. And, and the thing is like, it comes easier to some guys than others too. Like even in the NFL, like you see some guys, it just looks so easy for them. Like hockey's the same way. Like the biggest example I could say from a hockey sense perspective. Uh, so I was a winger. So spent a lot of time kind of on the walls in the D zone. And a lot of times if the defenseman gets in trouble, he gets rims the puck around the boards and it's the winger's kind of responsibility to not only knock that puck down, pick it up, have it headed on a swivel so because the defenseman's probably going to come down and uh, try and smoke you down the wing, but you also have to be able to try and make a play to the center of the ice as well. So I, I think that plays along the wall. Like that's the biggest difference between NHL players and guys that just play college. So at what point did you start playing fantasy sports? Were you like always in fantasy football leagues? Did you play seasonal baseball like Cardi did? Like how did you get into the, the world of fantasy sports overall? One of my ex-teammates is actually in the chat right now before I get to that. And he, uh, he spent some time with the LA Kings. So what's up, Rousey? Um, anyways, um, yeah, so I was always kind of that guy that was a little bit too into football, into fantasy football. So uh, I think the breaking point for me was my freshman year in college, actually um, ended up playing on like our team season long uh, fantasy league. I had a, a partner who was also a freshman. Uh, we ended up uh, obviously making some trades and made it all the way to the, the final. Uh, we won uh, the championship on a field goal on Monday night football. And then we, we took our winnings. I think it was like a hundred bucks uh, straight downtown, spent all of it. And then I'm um, uh, actually waiting. I, I think I took my pregame nap for, for the Friday game. And I have like four calls when I woke up and it was from our captain who we played in the, in the championship round. And it turns out there was a stack correction. And his defense gained a sack. Our defense lost a sack. So we ended up losing the championship on a stack correction. And, like, ever since then, like, it was over. Like, I, I hate losing at pretty much anything there is. Um, and I do get um, a little bit obsessive about things at times. So I just had to make sure that never happened again. Do you, do you tilt pretty hard with DFS still? 
you know what? I, I'm actually kind of worried about the opposite. Um, so like, honestly, sometimes the wins feel basically the same as losing. And, and I don't know if you guys have ever really talked about this before, but after playing DFS for uh, pretty seriously for three, four years now, I'm not even sure what it is. It feels like that. Um, man, it, it's crazy. Like I, I definitely, I definitely tilt with the best of them. Just that Sean. Um, but still no one, no one, no one tilts more than Sean Newsom. No one has <laughs> ever, ever, ever tilted in DFS harder than Sean. Well, because no matter what, he was 100% right in what he did, right? Oh, well, he's never made a bad play before Correct. the lineup's locked. And if there, was, if there was no luck, Sean would win every slate. Right. And, I mean, he always runs bad at the end, obviously. It's um, all, yeah, it's always run bad when he loses. Yeah. No, man. Like, I don't know. Like, so the first couple big wins that you have, like, it's a crazy experience. Um, but, that, like, anyone that's played NFL, um, like, for a long period of time, especially if you're more of a tournament player, like there's streaks where it's rough, man. Like you lose, you lose like 10 K or so in a couple of weeks. Like it's not fun for anyone. Um, so yeah, definitely. I, I think that a lot of people say it, but it's really true. Like whenever things are going really well, it's never quite as good as it seems, but whenever things are going super bad, uh, it's probably not as bad as it seems either. But um, yeah, I, I definitely can tell with the best. I'm just not quite as well. I mean, Sean. when you're, when you're losing a DFS, it just feels like I'll never be able to make a winning lineup. I'll never be able to do what I need to do to make this money back. Like it just, it feels like there's just such an insane momentum, just like pressing down on you. It's, it's like, it's like legit horrible. It's very depressing. Yeah. And I mean, and doing what we do, we're like, we have the whole week to think about it and where most of us work from home. Um, so yeah, just like trying to go through the content grinds, um, especially if things aren't going well. It, there's definitely moments where you ask yourself like, wow, how am I even doing this? Um, but then you hit that, you hit that win and it all makes sense again. It's kind of a big cycle. So we should talk about, uh, about your first big win that let you, uh, that let you pay off all of your student loans, break people down, through, actually, no, no. Before we, before we get there, how did you learn about DFS? How did you like create your first account on DraftKings or whatever? Yeah, so I created my first account. I think I was a junior in college, just like had no idea what DFS was. I think like a lot of people have the same story. Like my DFS username is like completely egregious. It, it was just like a random thing that I used to use on Xbox Live and never thought in a million years that this would be um, something I would be doing for a living. So I think I deposited like my 300 bucks, like lost it almost instantly. Um, and then was just kind of like, yeah, this probably isn't for me. Um, but when I was playing pro, uh, decided to um, take things a little bit more seriously. I, I never really um, was into the writing thing until you just had so much time on your hands. Um, I mean, there's only so much Netflix you can watch. So um, wrote a couple articles for some smaller sites. Um, and then actually, uh, Josh Moore at four for four, uh, reached out to me. He was like, Hey, we have an opening on the DFS side of things. I don't know how much of that you normally do. So, um, from that moment I, I was doing mostly DFS content and still playing hockey. Um, just kind of doing it for fun. Um, but definitely, um, that's kind of how I got my start. And then just, uh, uh, basically asked questions to TJ and Chris, uh, Chris Raybon, uh, constantly until I wasn't completely terrible. 
Yeah, that's a huge thing. And that's, that story is similar with a lot of DFS guys is like finding someone to mentor them and teach them how to be good at DFS. And I got, I got really lucky that like Drew Dinkmeyer and Mike Leone gave me a lot of their time, like four or five years ago when I was first starting in DFS. And, and a lot of guys really like, uh, Andrew Wiggins and, um, Empire Maker. A lot of those guys, they, and sometimes it would be really helpful and sometimes it would just be, uh, berating me for being bad, but also being berated for being bad is uh, is pretty useful and helpful too. But it's it's really hard to improve at DFS like all on your own without examples of people being like, no, that was bad. You should not have done that, or this would have been a better route to take. Like it, it's really an activity that uh, it, it's a super selfish and individualist activity in the sense of the money. But like lineup building and information sharing is actually huge in how I've made like a ton of my friends that I have now. Yeah, I mean, I, I I rip on Sean obviously, but like Sean and I are good friends. He he's like one of those guys. Like, like there's a ton of value in someone that's like really not scared to tell you when you're wrong or when you did something really dumb. Um, so like especially when you're learning, um, and like at the time it, it felt like a lot of money. Now it's a lot different than it was before, obviously. But man, like someone that's actually willing to kind of like hold your hand through like the game of BFS, not necessarily fantasy football or whatever your background is like the game of DFS is just so much different. Like we, we see it all the time. Like there's plenty of people even in our industry that I, I think are really good football minds, but they're just not very good DFS players because it is somewhat of a different skill set in my opinion. Well, I mean, most of the guys who are like, uh, who are like football guys, they just don't have, they don't have the brain to be super good at DFS because they, they get like, uh, they get too obsessed with like player talent or they focus too much on matchups instead of like, you know, just pure volume. And we've seen a lot of that stuff with like uh, Frisco Josh's legitimately like provable mathematics that like defenses are not super predictive for DFS. Like, and people just really blow back against that because it doesn't make intuitive sense to them. But I think that's a, a big example of mistakes that people make is like not opening themselves up to new information. Like the way that people talk about DFS NFL in 2018 is so much different than the way that people talked about it in 2015. Like the, the content that was out there, like just if you ever really get bored, go back and try and find some DFS articles from like 2015 and see the types of stuff that was being talked about. Like projections were worse. People didn't really talk about like market shares or like pace of play. Like it was crazy how different content was then. Yeah, it was probably a lot more stuff that was oriented around cash games too. I would imagine like bankroll management. Like yeah, bankroll management was bankroll management was a huge topic of conversation in like 2014, 15. When was the last time you saw something like that come out? Like it's been for like an old probably, probably, T, probably TJ was the last one to do it. He did some. Yeah. He probably did some article on four for four about it. Yeah, there's like no one want. I mean, tournaments is the only thing that matters to 99% of the community now. Um, and that's definitely kind of the direction things are going. Things are different in general than they used to be. I think that, yeah, like a lot of those kind of OGs, guys that have been around forever. Um, if there's one thing that I think that like they, some of them at least can improve on is just realizing that it's, it's a totally different game now. Like the, the game selection needs to be different in my opinion too, that um, it's just, it, you have to be willing to adapt. It's like anything. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I'll say a leak in my game is I definitely have not adapted yet. And this is something I've talked about, not so much on this podcast, but on the Gilcast on Sundays with Sammy and Nate, 
But uh, I, I just am not super good at NFL tournaments. I think a lot of the times I have good reads in the sense of like, oh, this guy's undervalued in this spot. But I have a hard time. Um, first, I have a hard time dedicating more time to GPP lineup construction than cash game construction. I enjoy cash games more. I'm better at cash games. And I haven't really taken it upon myself to become a better tournament player and that's the same that's the same for all sports and definitely cash games now no matter what your your sport is they're just less beatable people are better there are less donks out there the sites have restrictions in place so that it's harder to bum hunt it's harder to get like really good games unless you want to play super high you know and target people who you think are are bad but really most of the edge and the money is in GPPs now. The thing is, is it? I mean, it could take it could take two years for you to realize your expectation in NFL tournaments. Like, actually, yeah. I mean, I, I have a ton to say about this. Actually, I think that just in general, like you said, the information is so much better out there for the average person to make a reasonable cash lineup. Um, that those games, the edge is fading a little bit every day. I totally agree with you in that way. I, I'm kind of the same way. Like on a Sunday morning, like if I actually have a lot of respect for people that can like someone like, like CSU Ram or Drew Jankmeyer that can just like literally like manage all of these different types of entries. Like they're free max entries, they're 150 max, they're cash games, like all these different slates. Like, I mean, I've tried it. Like I, I'm not, I'm not very good at managing all of that um, on a Sunday morning. So I actually do the majority of my building on Sunday morning these days, just because I really try hard not to, um, get too caught up on some of the things that are talked about early in the week. I mean, I, I think that that's a pretty big problem with content in general too, is like so much of the stuff that comes out is coming out on a Wednesday or Thursday. And if you're reading an article um, that was kind of published at that point, I honestly think that a good majority of that information is, is pretty worthless. But I mean, as far as the tournament side of things, like I definitely think that like, if we're talking about who do we want to play, like who do I want to play? Like I still want to play that guy that's hung over on a Sunday morning making lineups on his phone. And a lot of times that's going to be some of the biggest contests. The the problem with some of those contests, like even outside the rig, like the rig, it, it is what it is. It, it's more or less like the structure of them. Um, and something I think that people probably don't talk about enough is like the min cash uh, multiplier. So um, on FanDuel, there's still some drafting contests that are two X multipliers, but like, if I'm looking at my NFL season over the course of the season and I'm only playing tournaments like the power sweep or some other ones that are only a 1.5 X multiplier, 20% of the field, 25% of the field being paid out. Like if you don't hit one of those relatively high, you're bleeding yourself slowly. Cause even your good weeks, when you min cash, you're only 1.5 X in your money. There, there's so many good tournaments out there. And even some of these smaller tournaments, like smaller field tournaments that I tend to play, like, it's it's really hard to get to the top on these and totally realize your expectation and in such a small sample like NFL. So I think the biggest mistake people make is, is game selection. But at the same time, like I think that if you're going to play single entry, like you still need to be selective about the ones that you're playing because there's a lot of them that are just going to slowly bleed you in my opinion. I mean, that's by far my biggest leak is like, I just kind of blindly click. Like I enter my, I enter my cash game team and I'll enter that in all, like most of the single entries I'll enter that in, you know, pr pretty much all the contests. And then once I'm like, okay, that's enough action with my cash game lineup. I have my head to heads posted and everything. I'll just go start creating tournament teams in the $9 slant on DK. And then when I'm done creating that team, 
I kind of just go blindly click around on stuff after that. And I'm not, I'm not looking super close at payout structures like uh, that. And that's a huge leak. Like that's giving away equity for sure. It is like, so I play the $1,500 uh, entry. There's like under a hundred people in it. Um, used to be a 1060. And I actually wish it was back to the structure. It was the start of the year. The start of the year was a two X multiplier for him in cash. And now it's a 1.5 X and uh, had a little bit of, I mean, I had a really strong start to the season, basically paid my entries for the whole season, which is great, but uh, it's been a slow decline um, for me over the last couple of weeks. And it's, it's rough just because even if you min cash, like, really doesn't do a whole lot for you. So um, would love to not play that. Um, but yeah, I got to do it for the content, right? Yeah, got to do it for the content. Um, and I guess like, uh, I guess another thing is, so when I was in college, I was using DFS money to like live on. Like I was withdrawing that money. I was paying bills. I was buying groceries with DFS money. And now, you know, I'm an adult. I have money invested. I have a job that pays me a salary. So like DFS for me is not like, I don't, I don't need it to survive. And the a tactical mistake I'm making with that is I should be shooting for life-changing money, right? Like knowing, knowing that if, if I lost every cent I had on DraftKings, like I would be fine. My life would, my life would not change. So like grinding cash games doesn't really make a ton of sense. I, this is something that I should kind of think introspectively about and maybe start to change my routine up a little bit more. And actually probably I should be more open to like taking shots like I, I don't enter anything real high. I just grind like my my account doesn't have a million in earnings. So like I can still grind one, two, three dollar games like endlessly, really, especially for NFL when you can just get infinite amounts of action at those dollar levels. And I, honestly, I would probably be better off trying to realize my equity at a higher dollar limit. Man, like if you can still play those games, I, I've been like kind of experimenting a little bit with like this this is something that no one ever talks about. So it's 50 fifties, it's double ups, it's, it's head to heads, but like you get, you understand how soft the triple ups, how soft the quintuple ups, how soft the boosters are. So like last week, for example, I was outside the cash line in the 1500 almost the entire day after, uh, after all the, the giants guys, uh, got, uh, sat down. So basically um, I was cashing quintuple ups that were like, I don't know, I think there's like 50, 60 people in those, but not cashing a GPP that 20% of the field is paid out. So like even just like spend five minutes in the lobby on Sunday and go click around on some of those like multipliers or turn like small tournaments, boosters, quintuple ups, just click around. It's all bad trust players. Um, like the cash lines really are not that different. And the difference between playing your 50 50s, playing your head to heads and maybe doubling your money. Like if you hit on your quintuple ups one week out of four, one week out of five, you're basically even And if anything else besides that, like if you have a lineup that just goes nuts and you cash all your boosters, that's 10 X and like the field is a joke. Um, so I don't know. It's something I've been messing around with. Maybe it's bad. Uh, Sean tells me it's bad. So it's probably bad. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that uh, entering those games can be bad uh, just because it's the same concept of entering tournaments. It just, it, you have to realize your equity at a smaller time frame, though. Like realizing your equity in boosters or whatever, you have to realize it at least 20% of the time for it to be profitable. Where, you know, if you, if you realize your equity in GBPs once in a 17 game NFL season, 
that's paid for your entries or whatever all year. It's, it's very similar to like poker where there's actually more of a tax on your time. And it's the reason that in poker, you really have to decide, okay, am I going to be a tournament player or am I going to be a cash game player? But with DFS, you actually have the luxury of doing both. Yeah. You talked about it um, when we first got started too. Like, I mean, my goal, I, I don't, there's so much, there's so many better ways to make money and make 5% of whatever your life role is on something that doesn't take as much time as we put into DFS. Like I'm playing this to like hit something like, like once or twice throughout the season. So like my strategy around basically just playing a single entry uh, type approach, but in some of these smaller field GPPs, like it lets me build something that I think is pretty close to optimal. Like I always say, like, in this tournament, there's only a hundred people in it. Like people just get too cute. People are game stacking it. Um, I don't think it's super necessary. I think you can basically build what's optimal, maybe make a slight tweak for uh, kind of a lower own correlation or lineup construction. That's a little bit different. Um, but honestly, like if you only have to beat a hundred people, I, I think that that's what matters. It's field size more than anything. Um, when you're trying to pick good tournaments. I think that that's like the biggest uh, leak that people are just like playing single entries with 15,000 people the same way that they would play a tournament with 50. Like it's a totally, totally, totally different game. Yeah, I I, uh, I definitely agree on that. Uh, though I do think that um, I do like game stacks, like especially because it is sort of like a, it's a lazy way to capture upside. Like you're giving yourself some overtime upside. You're giving yourself like, oh, this game just gets crazy. And the teams, they decide to stop running. Like, for example, if Houston had not ran the ball last week and they'd just been passing instead, the game stack for that game goes nuts because all of a sudden you have two teams who are taking like a minute and 30 seconds off the clock per drive because all they're doing is throwing the ball. And like that's that's something I really like to do for game stacks is just try and find two teams that are are not dumb enough to run the ball. Man, I think that probably the biggest edge that we have left is still lineup construction. Like everyone, like there's enough good information out there. Like everyone has the same pool. Um, it's basically deciding what kind of value you want to take, which running backs you're going to play. But like unique lineup construction, you can still make a very unique team with very good plays. So um, I'm actually curious your take on this. So I actually think that in general, people are still undervaluing the floor and the ceiling of these elite running backs. Like, like there's, there's a big difference. So like, I guess this is my question, like paying down for Samuel last week, he's 3,800, but you give up a running back slot. Like, I actually think that that's kind of bad. And, and that's, that's not a popular take for all the higher stakes guys, all the OGs like have been paying down for stuff like this, their entire DFS career it just doesn't feel right to pay down with your wide receiver slots to pay down at tight end. Like, what's your take on, on like, so I actually think that things are a lot different now with some of these, these running backs that could easily be priced over 10k and they're not. Uh, well, it is interesting that DraftKings did the opposite of what they did the Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson year uh, in 2016. Every year, DJ and Lev just got higher and higher priced. And on FanDuel, they've like, Gurley's gotten as high as like 11,000. But on DraftKings, um, I believe that only Barkley, McCaffrey, and Gurley have been over 9K all year long. That's That's just going off of my memory, but I'm pretty sure they are the only ones who have been. The issue that you have in building, especially like cash game or single entry lineups, is it's it's so much easier to project Jalen Samuels for 15 points than it is to project Deshaun Hamilton for 15 points. So people prefer to pay for the safety of like 
minimum 10 wide receiver points as opposed to paying for the minimum 28 DraftKings points that Barkley gives you. Like that's the, really the difference is, is just comfortability and projecting low end wide receivers that, that completely explains that difference. Oh, I, I mostly agree with you, but my counter argument for that is it's so much easier to project these two touchdown games or these massive games for running backs. If you give up that slot, you're essentially saying that some of these high-end wide receivers are just to save it. I actually don't think that's true. I, I would I would rather take a shot on one of these really cheap wide receivers. Like every week there's there's a guy that's like probably thin or probably doesn't have a high ceiling at like 3,500 to 4,500 at wide receiver. If you take a shot on one of those guys, lock in. The safest thing on the board is always these running backs that are used in the passing game, like these elite usage running backs. So if you just start with those guys, um, move to the positions that have a little bit more variance anyways. And that's where you pay down. Like the other thing I've been thinking about too, is these tight ends, like, like going with more of like a barbell approach, like paying all the way down. Uh, like last week, play, I played Ian Thomas at 2,700 or paying all the way what down. A, what a humble brag that, what a humble brag on the Ian Thomas play there. I, I also said that I lost last week as well. So uh, I don't know how much of a humble brag that was, but yeah, it's like it's something I've been thinking about, just like trying to get all the way up to Kelsey and Ertz, but just like not like fucking around with the mid-range guys. Like I get that Ebron has been underpriced relative to his usage, but like just in general, like trying to go in one way or the other at tight ends um, and then, paying down a wide receiver and then just really just jamming in all this running back value. That's like so underpriced in my opinion. So. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's pretty reasonable. We should get back. Uh, we should get back to you though. We should get back to, uh, to the guest of the show. Yeah. Too much DFS talk. People are, people are tuning out if they see it's so interesting. This show, like you have some people that are just like, Oh my God, I don't care about DFS. I just want to hear these. Like, I don't care about these intricate strategy things. I just want to hear x and y talk about you know the the downfall of western civilization or how to stop looking at their cell phone and then you have some people that are like i want more actionable takes but i want to go back to to you your journey in dfs and i want you to talk about your first big hit because i actually i actually don't even i actually don't even know yeah so my first um year out of hockey actually moved back to st cloud where i uh uh, met my current girlfriends, uh, so went back there after I was done playing, um, doing the content grind thing, um, quite honestly, not really making much money at all, um, decided to um, kind of go all in on the DFS thing to kind of uh, make up that, that income that I was lacking. So um, had a pretty decent season um, and then ended up uh, taking a shot uh, in the playoff weeks um, and then basically um, hit a big tournament for 30k, paid off all my student loans, paid off a bunch of credit card debt that I'd I'd racked up um, through some dumb, uh, dumb, dumb life choices. Um, but yeah, I got really lucky. Um, so my first real kind of year doing this full time, um, it was kind of honestly just like made quitting hockey or giving up on the NHL dream a little bit easier. Like kind of just my overall sense of making that decision after after having a really good year, um, made it worth it for sure. Um, but the playoff weeks, man, like that, that's where I've had the most success, believe it or not. That's, I mean, that's another, that's another leak by me. I always play less once the playoffs start. However, I don't think that I will be doing that this year, mostly because 
there is nothing better than NFL Showdown. I, I just, I could not love NFL Showdown anymore. I've been, I've been doing these uh, podcasts on the Patreon and like, it, it's honestly, it's fantastic. And when you win in Showdown, you, you just feel like you are, you are a genius and you can predict every play in a football game, like down to like, you know, down to the smallest play level. It's pretty great. Yeah, NFL Showdown, I haven't dipped into a ton just because I've been so busy with uh, getting this business off the ground and stuff. But it's definitely something I want to look into next year. I mean, the playoff thing, it's more or less just people don't late swap. So that's like the biggest edge by far. It's slower than the normal uh, slate, obviously. So you have so much time to think through leverage in different plays. Is that something that you are you are big on? Like when I had Bales on the show, he he talked a lot about how you know people just people just don't use late swap, and like that's like a, one of the few edges that's definitely left. Yeah, both uh, so both of my biggest hits have been in playoffs, and they've both been teams where I got aggressive with late swap. So the first one, um, I can't remember who the first game was, but got way behind ended up switching to a game stack with Dallas and Green Bay that was the big Des Bryant blow up game the big uh, Jared Cook blow up game um so that was awesome um ended up fading the entire late game so I had to watch uh Le'Veon Bell and I, I can't remember who it was on Kansas City um but I was basically fading like one more catch from either of those guys and would have dropped like 10 15k instantly so was at the bar with like a bunch of the the St. Cloud hockey players and like that was like my first ever like real sweat and then for for it all to kind of come through and and yeah I mean you you spend like 600 bucks at a college bar like that's pretty tough to do but we did it can confirm I've been in that exact scenario not with NFL though with NBA I actually I actually had way better success when I was in college playing NBA. I did, I did fine in NFL. I mostly made money back then just because the games were easier, but my, my two biggest scores, uh, one for like 8k and one for like 10k were back in the day on draft street, a site that doesn't even exist anymore in NBA. And, uh, I remember, I remember being at the bar watching the end of like a golden state game and like refreshing the old version of draft street on mobile just being like oh my gosh i've never had this much money in my life before it's insane man like there's nothing like that feeling i wish i could capture that feeling again like i think i could but like now i'm to the point where like even like the second time this it happened a year later basically but like i instantly had like so much regret because for me it was just like oh why didn't i have it in this tournament or this tournament which we can talk about or not talk about, but man, like I wish I could capture like that first ever feeling again. Cause it was just amazing. Yeah. Um, all right, let's see. Where do we, uh, where do we want to go next? You, oh, actually this, this one's pretty good. We should talk about the, uh, the digs walk off touchdown. Cause I actually have a pretty good story from that day too. Yeah. So, um, basically same thing. Playoff week, um, ended up was behind because of the Patriot. <clears throat> sorry, the Patriots game was super high owned, um, was a little bit behind. So I pivoted all my teams that morning to a Jacksonville Pittsburgh stack. Um, the game ended like 43 to 52 or something crazy like that. And I knew I was going to the Vikings game um, against the Saints only had digs left. Uh, everyone I believe was on Thielen based on price. So I think digs was relatively owned, but he was the only guy I had left. So going into that after the Pittsburgh game ended was in a really good position to win all the small field stuff that I was in. Um, so I, I basically um, 
started with three teams, um, but ended up hedging to six teams because I was too soft to change all my teams to, to Bortles stack with Pittsburgh and all that. So, um, so basically spread out, spread things out. Um, that last catch from Diggs, as soon as it was in the air, I was like everyone else. I was just yelling, like, just get out of bounds. Um, and then he starts running into the end zone. I realize that's the only player I have left and place just goes crazy. I've never been to a sporting event like that. He ran into the end zone that I was standing in. Um, so like a true live sweat. Um, that's and, very sick. Being there at that oh, end zone is uh, very sick. It was insane. Like the picture of him, like with his arms in the air, like I was like 30 feet from him when that happened um, with all of my money on the line. So it, it was crazy. Um, so place was going nuts instantly. Um, I'm super happy, obviously haven't checked my phone. And then like, I feel the anxiety of like, Oh my God, I, I can't even remember what contest I, I put this team in because I basically switched from three teams to six. Um, so I couldn't get all the contests I was in before. So I start getting texts. I think Sean might've even been one of them. And you're just like, man, you would have, you would have finished second in the wildcat or you would have finished first in such and such. And I was just like, Oh my God. So, I mean, it was awesome. I won a bunch of small field stuff. Thankfully I did have it in the biggest tournament. It wasn't a Millie maker. It was like a 500 K up top cause it was playoffs. But yeah, with, with six teams, like top, 12 or something like that in a tournament with like 300,000 people. So, um, was basically good to win all the high stakes stuff. Uh, so the big lesson, I guess, is, uh, kind of, uh, going all in. If you're going to late swap, don't late swap off of your contest. Cause you just never know what's going to happen. Yeah. You, uh, you never know. That's uh that's a very true. And I guess like the, the big takeaway here is just, if you, if you think you're dead or if you think that there is like, uh, Let's see, what's the right way to say this? If you if you think that you are dead or you don't have a good start and other people are ahead, just go to whatever is not going to be owned because in like the 10% chance that it happens, you're going to end up winning. There are people who make a pretty good living, a pretty good ROI in DFS, not putting any thought into actual individual median projections, but simply building lineups full of guys who are like just not going to be owned. It's like a very profitable thing in MLB, but just like, stacking the Padres against Clayton Kershaw or whatever, like just taking advantage of guys at 2% because in, especially in baseball. And I assume that this is similar in NHL as well, just like over the course of, over the course of that game, like almost anything can happen. It's so hard, man. And, and I'm, I'm similar to you. Like my brain honestly doesn't work that way very often. So like, I have to like really force myself to do uncomfortable things on late swap like that. I'm, so, I'm, I'm horrible at it. Like yeah. this is, this show is really just exposing how much of like a cash chalk donkey I am. Man. I, I just, so someone actually really helped me. They, they said like, if you're in between two teams on a late swap, you should probably pick the one that makes you a little bit more uncomfortable. Um, and I, I've really tried to do that a little bit more, at least to give yourself a chance. Um, but yeah, I mean, t- to your point earlier, what Bales was saying, like, I, I still think that like, if you're looking for one of the few edges that is truly left in NFL, it, it, it has to be, it has to be late swap. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, let's, uh, let's get into talking about streaming and, and about, you know, video content, kind of the entrepreneurial stuff that I talked about with Kevin. And we can talk a little bit about the action network and lab stuff that kind of led you here, but I would like to, I would like for you to discuss your journey into you know, starting a Twitch, you know, the schedule behind streaming and kind of all the work that goes into it. 
Yeah, so I was at Fantasy Labs for uh, almost three years. I was full time there uh, since February. Uh, they were they were making some changes, obviously. Um, definitely wasn't a decision that came down from the people you would think about when you think about Fantasy Labs. Like, love Peter, love Bales, like those all those Fantasy Labs OGs, like their family. But um, it was kind of a situation where after that was done, I had to make a pretty difficult decision. Like, do I want to continue grinding written content? Do I want to try and get another full-time job in the industry? Like it's, it's not easy. Like those jobs don't come around very often. So, um, actually had a long talk with Peter and was just like, man, like maybe I'll just give the YouTube and streaming stuff, like actually go a hundred percent at it. And to his credit, he fully backed me. He's like, you have to do this. Like you have to do something unique that, the space is, it's, it's definitely the future, in my opinion. I, I think it's the direction that a lot of places are going. So um, the best part about making this switch to doing, um, at least for now, only YouTube and Twitch, um, it's a lot of people have really stepped up to help me. And I'm so thankful for how much help I've gotten from Peter, how much, how much help I've gotten from guys like Ryan Hodge, like Ryan Hodge built me a computer. Dude, Hodge, Hodge is like low key. No one even knows how much of a goat Hodge really is. Oh my God. I love that guy so much. Um, he's helped me a ton. Um, there's even, even Al. So, I mean, Al, like he owns the streaming space. Like everyone knows he was first. Like he was the one that was doing it um better than anyone for, for longer. Um, and he easily could have been threatened, not even just so much like, he's not gonna be threatened by me, but just threatened in general that things might've been trending towards that, but he couldn't have been more helpful in trying to help me get things off the ground a little bit by sending people that are on his stream my way. So I'm definitely really thankful for that. Really, really thankful for Hodge for sure. Um, and then Peter doing that show with me on Sunday mornings has like helped more than he even realizes for sure. Like we have like four or 500 people live on Sunday mornings, breaking down the slate and, I've had so many people reach out to me and, and just be like, man, like it's so helpful because on Sunday mornings, like, like what people truly want to do, like they want to like hang out with you and like work through everything. On yeah. Sunday. They, they want someone to talk with them and help them figure out like if they're being an idiot or not. Yeah. Like we forget, man. Like we have like our core group, like everyone, most people like, in, like we have our core group of people we talk to on Sunday mornings and that's pretty much it. But a lot of people like, I like to think of it as like, so when I was in college, I was like the guy that took things way too seriously with fantasy football. Like my, my friends didn't want to hear about that stuff. There's plenty of people like that in DFS that like love DFS, but just don't have anyone that is obsessed with it as they are to really talk through things on Sunday morning. So like you can read articles, you can do all of that, but like people really like just like coming to the streams. Like we have a stream marathon. I go on at 9am and then Manny, Laura goes on right after me. Hodge goes after him. And then uh, Smiz brings us right up until lock. So if you really wanted to, you could turn on a stream at, at nine in the morning on Sunday and have an active chat, talk through news, talk through lineup construction, like all these different things that like you don't have that kind of experience with written content anymore. Um, so I, I think it's really appealing for um, like Twitch, obviously, uh, and YouTube, like totally different, de different demographic than our little YouTube or our little Twitter bubble that we have. Um, but I've just found that like so many people just enjoy the interaction, like having the discord community has been awesome too. Just people go in there and, and talk through things, talk through late swap, but just the streaming stuff, um, for football, especially so far has, has been a ton of fun and it's really 
kind of uh, just overall, like my expectations because I've been blown away. Well, it's, it's something I've really noticed in, in my life kind of over like the last year is the way to find people that are the most similar to you that like talking about things the same way as you. It's kind of hard to find those people in like your actual everyday day to day life. Like my friends in real life that I interact with, they like football they like sports, like they like to watch golf, like they're not that far away from me, but they don't like to be obsessive about it the way that I do. Like they don't know, you know, like they don't know what WOBA is, right? They don't know what strokes gain T to green means. And like, these are, these are things for me that are just like a quintessential part of my living. And like, I, I pretty much am, have to be wagering on sports, gambling, playing DFS, like every single day, or I'm just like bored. Like my brain feels like there's just a giant abscess if I don't have something to like be wagering on, which is you know, probably not super healthy, but, uh, you know, whatever. And, and you find those people online. Like some of my friends who I've met online are truly like the people that I like the most out of anyone in the world, even though I might see them once every two years. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's how everyone probably feels, man. Like people that are really deep into this, like we forget that like these people just want to feel part of a community. And I, I think that just direct interaction is something that I definitely had been lacking as like a content provider as a, as a, as a sports writer. Like I didn't really feel close with anyone that was reading my articles. Like even over the last like a couple months, like I've met so many people that like they have the same interests. Like I- I'm the same as you, man, like talking about this stuff, I'd much rather talk about it with you talk about it with Hodge than like any of my friends that I played hockey with or any of my r- real friends, uh, kind of a day to day type um, people that I interact with. So man, I think that it's, it's a space that is still somewhat untapped. Um, but I do believe that eventually um, this is how people are going to want to consume the content. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast before, I think, but I've, you, you have a discord going now. Do you know how many active users you have there? Yeah. So I have like 200 subscribers or so on Twitch, um, closing in on a thousand on YouTube, but I think the discord is Getting up to, let's look, I think we have over 200 people now in the Discord and actually a decent amount of these people have been active, which that was one of the biggest things for me. Like, um, I, I didn't expect that of, of all of this. I didn't, I didn't expect that to be one of the things that like truly was taking off. So like when I was trying to decide if I really wanted to do this, like I, I still enjoyed what I was doing. A lot of the work I was doing at labs, I, I just like, if there was ever a time to like really take a chance and try and be early on something like I'm 28, like I've, I've got a little bit of money put away now. And it's a totally different situation than, than before. Like I'm ready to just like go all in at this and like see what happens. So I guess that was one of my hesitations right now. I have about 200 subscribers on the Patreon and I'm I guess the, the question I've have and the reason I haven't launched anything yet is you know, I didn't know if 200 people would be enough to get kind of uh, an active community. And maybe, maybe after listening to you, it is, that is possible to start something more active with only like 200 or so subscribers. Yeah. So I still think the problem, like the, the best thing we talked about this before, the best thing about Patreon is they take way less. Um, so like Twitch takes 50% of each subscription, like you can do different tiers and stuff like that. Um, so I think that, and I, I heard Kevin uh, mention this when you guys were talking too. like actually having some sort of product or something that you're trying to um, bring people towards is super important. So like for me, that's been 
one-on-one DFS coaching. I know you've done a little bit of that too, Davis. So um, I'm hoping that the content on YouTube, all the stuff on Twitch, the live streams, like a lot of these, these gifted subscriptions and appreciate everyone that's been gifting subs throughout this. Um, the problem, like the hardest thing is, is getting people to convert those gifted subs into real subscriptions a month after. So um, we'll see what the drop off is like after NFL, but like the general plan is just to put out really good content on YouTube, um, help everyone bring it together on Twitch. And then hopefully if, if people want a little bit more one-on-one interaction, they, they do jump into some of the coaching stuff with me. I think, I mean, DFS coaching is definitely something that I don't even really think it's ever been truly exploited. Like, I don't think anyone super reputable has ever launched a service where that was like, you know, pretty available. Like I, I, there's been sites that have popped up here and there that have offered it. And I've done it with a couple guys who've like reached out to me privately and like have had some pretty good results. But, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's another unexploited thing in this space. Yeah. And like, Honestly, I kind of fell into it in, in a similar way as you. Like I, I did roster coach with uh, TJ Hernandez for a while and got a few clients out of that. Nothing too crazy that first season, but just that first season doing coaching, like I actually like really like trying to help people learn how to play. So like, yeah, I, I love trying to help people. Like that's yeah. like my motivation for doing all of this. Like I love helping people who maybe have the right you know, have the right idea, but need some help getting there or people who just need the right framework. Yeah. Like I, I have some awesome people this year that I meet with at least once a week. Some of them are, are twice a week during NFL and they're just like normal guys, like really smart guys, like a couple in particular. Um, he, he's a normal guy. He's got a normal job. He's got kids. And like the, I, we talked about a couple of my big hits in DFS. I swear to God, I was more excited when he hit a big tournament this year. Cause it, it's truly like, you hit 20, 15, 20 K for someone like he's got kids, like it's life changing for them. And like, I, I think that's like so much more rewarding at this point for me than hitting a big score. Like I, I was so happy for him, man. And I, I just, I, I think in general, I've basically found out that like doing the content stuff's awesome, but like, I would love to do more coaching. And I, I'm hoping that this, uh, this whole kind of, um, trifecta of YouTube, Twitch, um, and discord just, uh, helps me get a few more clients along the way as well. My like my best experience in DFS is helping my buddy Adam Goulet win the the first million dollar prize in NBA. We uh, he qualified and he like reached out to Soccer Dave uh, at Fantasy Insiders back in the day and was like, "Look, I always win when Davis writes the NBA article. Can you like get him in touch with me?" And basically, I got 1.5% of $1 million to help him win. And obviously, after a guy wins a million dollars, like a relationship's going to start and kind of for the next, uh, really like the next like two years until Adam had a kid and stopped playing as much. Like, basically, like we just big, big cues, like big, uh, like, you know, the the 1.5K entries, the Thunderdomes, like I would like coach him through, like I would, I would not, not coach him through because Adam was like pretty sharp, but like we would talk about line of construction and make plays together. And like, I got to go to a bunch of live finals with him and stuff. And that was like, that is easily my best experience in DFS. I think that's like the biggest thing that is misconstrued by the coaching thing. Like, it's not like I'm talking to these people and being like, play this guy, do this it's teaching them kind of the right way to go about the research. But at the same time, like there's been so many like high level DFS conversations I've had during coaching that like truly helps me too. like actually trying to work through 
my decisions. Like, how am I going to justify this on Tuesday morning when I do my review? Like same thing that I've heard you mention about uh, the podcast that you do with your guys' review too. It's the same thing with coaching. Um, kind of a roundabout thing that I found out like a space that a lot of people, as far as like posting content, like LinkedIn, man, like I've gotten a bunch of people for coaching off of LinkedIn. And if you think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense. So it basically gets like having some of your content go out there. But like a lot of these people on LinkedIn, they're business people, they're super busy. Um, it honestly is like the prime degen market and it's just sitting there. So I've had people reach out to me about coaching more than anything this year off of LinkedIn. People have no idea who I am. I mean, it sounds like I need to go update my LinkedIn page right now. Yeah. There you go. I probably will. Uh, so I want to close this out with something near and dear to my heart that, uh, that no one talks about on their podcast anymore, which is crypto. Because let me tell you, I'm still a Bitcoin true believer. Like I, I, my, my belief in the technology and the immutable nature of Bitcoin as money has not changed despite the fact that the, you know, the, the price of Bitcoin is, I don't even check it anymore. There's, there's no point for me in checking it anymore. Yeah, 3,300. I check it probably way too much still. Um, There's a finance major in school. Not that that matters a ton. Uh, Typical kind of guy that got in um, on the way up last year. Definitely was guilty of buying some Bitcoin over 10K. Um, Oh, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you bought Bitcoin over $10,000. Everyone. Give give me a one. Give me a one in the chat. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, so I mean... Got into the altcoin thing. Like, again, same as like, it's a similar story with me. Like, I don't do things halfway, right? So I dove full into crypto, um, got mostly wrecked, um, had way too much of my life role in crypto. Um, but for the most part, I'm like you. I think that it's more of a longer term thing for me. I did get most of it out. Um, there's ways to short it if you wanted to short it um, and make some money on the way down. Tommy, Tommy G, Tommy G, the God. I mean, yeah. the dude, the dude, he, he knew, I guess. I, he made more money shorting it than most of the people in like crypto and poker did buying it on its way up. I'll, well, there are some people who made millions of dollars on Bitcoin and poker, but a lot, your, your favorite DFS tout lost money on Bitcoin. Just let me go ahead and put that out there right now. Oh yeah. And how many people had crypto enthusiasts in their bio on Twitter? I left mine by the way, cause it started out as a joke and then everyone took theirs off. So I was like, Oh, I might as well keep it. Um, but I do, I do, I do love crypto. I, I, I believe in at least the use case for a lot of the projects. Um, I do think that there's, there's a ways that we can go down still. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we hit full capitulation, made it to one K um, before we kind of made, this reversal. It could be a while, honestly. So um, I'm more of a dollar cost average in kind of guy right now, trying to do it the right way this time around and not just by the top uh, like I did before. Um, so that's kind of the plan. I did it. I did it the right way. And, but I just am too stubborn to have ever sold that. The only reason that I made money back was because I, I left some Bitcoin on Coinbase. And when I saw the odds for the Warriors, and I told the story on the Leviton podcast, but basically I just transitioned my Bitcoin into a Warriors future, and if I, if I did not do that, uh, I wrecked. I would be, your, your, boy, your boy would be wrecked. Man, so we had a meeting uh, when I was with the Action Network in New York City. I was sitting right next, to, right next to Peter and Bales, and I don't remember what was going on in the meeting, but I look over and... <laughs> They're literally on Binance, like 
I don't know, Bale's got some some tip about BNB or something, and they just like loaded up a big bag of BNB. Uh, just I miss those times, man. They were simpler times. Uh, now it's pretty much been been uh, straight down for a while. Not as much interest about it, but hey, I'm I'm gonna be ready when when it goes back up. I do think it will actually. You remember you remember alt season? Did you buy Did you oh, buy a lot of coin? Did you, how many? What's your worst coin that you bought? Oh God, the worst one that I ever bought. Like I, I basically condensed everything. Like I'm pretty much 90% Bitcoin now. I have a little bit of Monero, a little bit of Nano. I'm trying to think of the worst one I bought. I have, Man. I have a, I have a couple now that are like legitimately worth like pennies. Like, they, like I, I, it wouldn't, it would cost more Bitcoin for me to like sell it and do the transaction fee than like then it would even then I would even like make back. Like I would be paying to get rid of these coins. Let's let's hear a couple of your worst ones, and I'll bring up CoinMarketCap see if I can remember any of them. Okay, I'm gonna pull up. I'm gonna pull up my blockfolio because I have all of it in here, and I mentioned I've mentioned one of them before, which is QuantStamp. I I actually like loved I loved the idea behind QuantStamp. Like I thought it was really good. The thing is, is that Ethereum is just like vaporware right now. So until Ethereum is ever anything actionable, it will never matter. Uh, Arc Coin. I bought that when it was a dollar thirty. It's worth twenty nine cents now. Um, Stellar Lumens was one that I really liked, which was worth like, yeah, it was it was up to like uh, like three dollars at some point. It's worth eleven cents now. So uh, and by the way, I'm checking. This is the first time I've opened my blockfolio in forever. (laughs) Ethereum is worth eighty six dollars. Is that real? Ethereum is wow. It's I remember, I am old enough to remember $1,000 Ethereum. We, we should almost bring up our Coinbase right now and just like read off some of the egregious buys that we've made because I bet, I bet mine are worse than yours. Um, I think the one that really stands out to me was uh, REP, Arger. It's rep, like, rep token? Yeah, 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 rep token. So it was like basically like the sports, but you can make wagers on the outcome of like real world events. And then it turned into like people um, putting up like hits on like Trump and like all this stuff. So it just like totally like, like took a really bad, uh, kind of rep in the the industry after all that stuff. But a lot of these, like you look at some of these, they're, they're like 95, a hundred percent down from where they were even like a few months ago, which is crazy to think about. Like even after the big drop, I'm going to bring up my Coinbase right now and literally look at some of my, my purchases. I bet my, I bet I bought some Ethereum over a thousand for sure. Oh, I didn't, I didn't buy See, so after all of this stuff happened, like, okay, after the boom, like kind of around that Thanksgiving time last year is when I became like a, a Bitcoin truther. Like I was just like, all of these alts are nothing but like financial speculation, but I don't believe in any of them. So at least that got me to like, not like not buy more of like the, the shit coins. All right. So let's look at this. Let's say, what do you think I bought January 18th of last year or this year? What did you buy on or, January 18th? How, how, how much was Bitcoin then? Uh, in I, bet, I bet Bitcoin then was like 13000 Yeah, so I have a purchase of $2,500 worth of Bitcoin when Bitcoin was eleven k. <laughs> Not great. Agreed. Not great. People, I mean, the, the, the worst thing was people buying Bitcoin or people buying Litecoin when it was at like 250 after the guy who created Litecoin got rid of his, like just All the clearest sell signal that there could have ever been. 
Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think that there's there's definitely some legit use case for some of these, like Monero, if you want to go completely. Well, yeah, Monero, Monero and Zcash have legit good use cases. Like, I totally buy that. I think that's still, like, there's a couple projects out there that I've been looking at. It's, it's more of, like, so, like, using crypto for payments is, like, one of the worst things ever. Like, it's so slow right now for a lot of these. Like, it's so difficult for the average person to do it. I mean, I get it, like Dash is doing some stuff in some of these like, um, like kind of countries that don't have a, a stable currency, but just in general, I, I still think that like uh, some coins that actually like kind of actually hold wealth, like, like Bitcoin, of course, like it's going to be a little bit uh, kind of fluctuating, but like a store of wealth, like someone that actually um, is on the blockchain that has a chance to like go up in value over time um and has some of those incentives there's some interesting projects out there but as of right now it's really tough to get in on any of these when things are just getting wrecked getting getting wrecked i mean th there's no one who's not getting wrecked on on this stuff right now the the only people who aren't getting wrecked are the people who bought bitcoin in like 2013 oh yeah or if you were smart enough to start shorting at like even like 6k um because I think we still have a ways to go down. Um, but obviously, there's not a lot of really uh, safe ways to do that, especially if you live in the United States. I mean, uh, what, what, how would someone even do that? How would you place a short on that right now? I don't even know. Yeah, well, there's, there's BitMEX. So BitMEX is the site where you can basically like ramp up the leverage all the way up to 100 um, and kind of really max things out with that way but i mean yeah you can short on that but you do have to use like a vpn basically and like tell them that you live in canada like you don't have to give them your name you don't have to give them your driver's license anything it's literally an exchange that as long as you have a vpn you can use um but if you get caught if you get caught like all your money's gone for sure so um it's pretty sketchy that is pretty sketchy. I'm also, this is, you can tell how long it's been since I've tried to buy any coins. I had no idea that, uh, that zero X was even on Coinbase. Like I, my, my only interaction with crypto these days is I listen to the coin talk podcast with Aaron Lammer and, uh, uh, I can't remember the other guy's name. Yeah, man. It's crazy. Like even kind of circling back to the YouTube thing, like there's so many crypto YouTubes that are just dead now. And that instantly got up to like 80,000 subscribers, a hundred thousand subscribers. And and yeah. Now it's, it's completely gone. Money. Their, their business model. Gone. Yeah. Their business model RIP them. Yeah. So one of the things like sports geek, another one of those guys that's like really stepped up and helped me um, since I started doing all this. And one of the things that you can do is actually look at like volume of searches and all this stuff for YouTube versus Google and like the crypto graph looks just like the Bitcoin graph, like just goes straight down on people as far as like even trying to consume that type of content. It's like pretty much dead right now. That was kind of also why I wanted to start this podcast was I wanted to have a place to talk about Bitcoin that uh, when Bitcoin like died, that I would still be able to continue doing a podcast about something because I didn't want to start just a crypto show because there were 9 million of them. Yeah, exactly. Like. I think it's, it's good. Like, I think probably most people have already shut your podcast off since we went off on crypto for so long, but I think, yeah, no, important. see, that's the thing. No one even wants to listen to this anymore. Like everyone, yeah. they're done. But I think what you said, like actually having a platform where you can kind of do whatever you want, like that's super appealing to me too. Like I would love for, so when I was doing all the branding stuff, all the custom branding stuff, like part of me was like, Oh, I should put DFS on this or I should put sports betting on this. But like, 
I actually like don't really want to handcuff myself completely. Like it's my thing. It's my YouTube. I'm going to be able to do, I'm going to do whatever I want to do on it. Like I'm super interested in like life optimization and like stuff like that. Like I've heard you talk about people like it, like yourself, like you do Postmates a lot for food. Like there's like, I do something similar, but like, so think of Jonathan Bales, like he does Grubhub. I do like the healthy version of that. Like I go and pick up my meals twice a week to like save time. I don't go grocery shopping. I don't really cook, but at least I know I'm eating healthy. So like, I, I wouldn't mind like doing stuff like that on YouTube. Just like talking about how I think is like a cool way to go about like, even simple life things like that. Um, if anyone, if anyone from Postmates is listening to this, I have a corporate sponsorship for you that I would, I would, I would promote the absolute hell out of Postmates. I've actually sent them some emails, like back and forth a little bit, and I'm like trying to work something out because I would promote, I would promote Postmates better than anyone's ever promoted anything. How do you feel about the affiliates and affiliate links and stuff like that? Because like I still am undecided exactly how I want to go about it. As of right now, I'm still trying to focus on growth and just try and build up the community. Um, but man, like the affiliate game, if you do it the right way, and like for me, like I would never promote something unless I was actually using it. it right, exactly. Because it's just so inauthentic when you're promoting something you don't like or don't use. Yeah, that's what's so easy with labs. It's like I use all that stuff to do research for DFS. So it's like super easy to talk about their tools. Um, I think uh, I'm going to kind of start doing a little bit more YouTube stuff based around tools, less around like slate breakdowns. These are the guys I like. Uh, what do you think about affiliates though? So I like the concept of affiliates, but, uh, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. So like when I first started doing the take cast, I was just like, I, I would prefer to just be paid per, per read. Right. And I would charge a set amount per read. And that's the way I function now. But if it was a product that, well, if it's a product I'm super into and I super want to promote, I would have no problem doing an affiliate deal because like I can tweet that link out. I can drop that link, uh, you know, on like if I wanted to make a YouTube video, I could do that. So I like I like the concept of leveraging like Twitter followers into affiliate deals, but I, you know, I prefer to be paid upfront for like pretty much anything, especially because like I have 26,000 Twitter followers, like that, that kind of exposure, like you should have to pay for that. You shouldn't just be getting, you know, a percentage ROI. Yeah. I talked to Levitan about this um, quickly because I, I think he's one of the guys that like goes about it in a really like legitimate and honest way. Like um, he's only really promoting stuff that he uses for sure. Um, and he goes about it and he's still kind of linking it into like a real actionable tweet. Like if you're, I mean, you've talked a lot about his Twitter account, but, um, like as bad as mine is like Levitan's is like legitimately useful. Um, so like, I think that as long as you're kind of honest with your followers or subscribers about like, Hey, like if you click this link, I might get a little bit of a kickback. Um, honestly, like if it, don't feel obligated whatsoever, but like, as long as you're honest with them about what you're doing, I, th I think it's totally fine. Um, but I think that there's a, yeah, just don't line. be, don't be scummy. Dude, just don't yeah. be scummy about it. Like I've had, I get people on, I get people on Twitter who will DM me and be like, Hey man, what site should I sign up for? And I'll be honest and I'll say, Hey, this is the stuff I use. But uh, if you want to support me and have access to these tools, you can use this promo code on Fantasy Labs or you can use this promo code on Daily Roto and this yeah. will support me. This will help me out. And like, and I think I don't, I don't think of that as being bad. As, as long as you are honest and you're like, look, if you do this, this is going to help me out. Like I think people, I think people respond to that honesty. 
Yeah, I think people appreciate it too. And just like exactly what you said, like, yeah, like if you want to support me, like here, here's the link, but like, yeah, like give them your honest take about what they're thinking about purchasing. Um, I think that's the right way to go about it for sure. But I think that there's a fine line between like shoving it down people's throats, like too much affiliate stuff, too much, like as far as like the YouTube stuff, like trying to mix in ad revenue, which is there's really not a lot of money in that. Um, the odd click on an affiliate link, like what's the line between doing too much of that and really hurting your brand is something I'm still trying to work through in my head. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's close out talking a little bit about sports betting, because I think that that's something that's, uh, that's pretty cool in this space. And I think it's something that I'm super interested in just because I like to bet on sports. So like, what's your, what's your history with it? What's your opinion? Do you want to do content for it? You know, what Levitan said was pretty interesting to me, which is just, look, dude, it's hard to win. It's hard to post winners in sports betting way harder than it is in DFS. Yeah, man. Like I'm realistically, if we're just talking about straight, like betting against the spread, like I'm the biggest donkey ever. Like I haven't had a lot of success with it. Haven't done it a ton. One thing that I do think is super interesting is props. Like I'm going to fire at props very hard now that I have a little bit more time to do the kind of content that I want to do. Talk about a space that I think is a little bit untapped and is still uh, has a huge edge and like translates to the fancy stuff that we're trying to project in general. Like props are so inefficient and a lot of it has to do with, you can't get a ton of volume down on these for sure. So the, the books just don't really, I mean, they don't have a lot of incentive to make some of these lines super sharp. And for the average person that wants to bet like, 50 bucks, hundred bucks per unit, like props are totally fine. Um, so I, I think that that's the, the avenue as far as content, that's the only kind that I would probably ever do. Yeah. Uh, something I would like to get more into because I like have passion for it is, is golf betting. Like, uh, I listen to, to Pat's shows and I do bet on like a fair amount of golf, but I would like, I would like to, I would like to get more content out there about that. And that's something I'm thinking about launching on the Patreon because I'm starting a, a new football job in January. And so I kind of, that kind of my eclectic stuff, like just like whatever the, whatever the random stuff is, I, I kind of think that uh, throwing that stuff on the Patreon is like a good monetization model. Dude, I, I love the niche stuff that you do, man. Like I, I, we probably haven't even touched on that enough because I, I think that that's where some of the bigger edges are it, like kind of left in our space in sports betting and DFS in general. Like, like how much do you value like your day-to-day niche like stuff? Like, I, like I, without that, like, I still think that your upside as doing this full time is a little bit limited if you're only going to play NFL Classic. I mean, if you only play NFL Classic, not only do you just, there's not enough going on for you to get action down, I would just be like bored out of my mind. Yeah. Like, I, I, would, I would legit just be like, I don't even know what I would do with myself during the day. Yeah, like, I mean, I look at myself as like a DFS player first, not necessarily like a football fan or a hockey fan. Like, I like truly like like the game of dfs like I, I think that it's there's it's a pretty distinct like uh difference between the two yeah i i definitely think that that is uh accurate and it's hard to do content for the niche stuff like it's hard to balance like especially for soccer like which is the main niche sport that i do just because the the player pool in terms of like the dfs players that play it is so small and also like uh the content you, you just don't even really know until like an hour beforehand because of like the way lineups work. Yeah. But like you said, what else are you going to do throughout the week um, when everyone's trying to build lineups on a Tuesday for NFL? 
Right. Exactly. Like you got to be giving more stuff out. And so like any of you listening to this, if you guys have ideas for more content that you want to see on the TakeCast Patreon, like more specific niche stuff, like whether it be NBA showdown or golf betting or whatever, like, uh, like I would, I would love, I would love to hear those ideas because especially after NFL ends, I kind of don't know exactly what, uh, what I'll be doing. That's pretty much it for me too. As far as that side of things, man, I think that's awesome. Like, like I've actually really gotten a lot of value out of like more of the entrepreneurship type uh, shows that you've done with a lot of these guys on your podcast. So like, I just I've gotten to, way more value out of that too, man. Like I've learned a lot. Like there's a couple of them that I've listened to like more than once too. So um, definitely think there's a ton of value in what you're doing with the Patreon shows as well. So if, if you guys have been like listening to his shows, but you're not like checking out some of the extra shows on Patreon, like, those are some of the best ones. Like, so uh, definitely would uh, hope people kind of check that out too. All right, Joe, get all, uh, get all your plugs off before we go. Man, not as many plugs, I guess, uh, as there used to be. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, at YouTube slash Joe Holka and twitch.tv slash Joe Holka. And then on Twitter at Joe Holka. There, there we go. Everyone, uh, if you want to uh, support the show, you know where to do it. Patreon.com slash, uh, slash take cast.